Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Revolutionized Mind. I just wanted to start off by reminding you that you have one more week to order with Ruka using the limited discount code, all caps, L-U-V-B-U-G, LOVEBUG, to get two free shower steamers and $1 off your order. Get something for you, get something for a loved one. Mother's Day is also coming up. There's a lot of great products and it's a really great time to support local, especially with the recent shutdown. So please, please check it out. Follow the link in my description. So I am both terrified and excited to release this episode because it is very personal and very vulnerable, and I am so, so glad that someone very close to me was willing to come on and share her perspectives of how my mental illnesses affected her and the rest of my family. There are lots of different aspects to my story that we do briefly touch on today, and I kind of just wanted to preface this episode with a short blurb that I had posted for Sammy for Bellet's Talk Day a couple years ago. Why do I feel like this was a constant question I asked myself. I had a roof over my head, food to eat, a good education, and a family that loved me and gave me every opportunity I could have ever wanted. So why did I feel like this? I thought it was selfish to tell anyone what I was feeling. I thought that I was being dramatic or overreacting. I thought that it was normal and I just needed to be stronger. I did not know how real this was until I reached the point that I could not handle this overwhelming burden of my thoughts anymore. I could not explain why getting out of bed every day took extreme effort if I was able to do it. I could not explain why I was, quote, negative and unable to find pleasure in things. I could not explain why I was hopeless and consumed by terrible thoughts. I could not explain why I felt the way that I did until loved ones finally saw me in a place so scared and so desperate for help. I just wanted to start off with that because it shows that I do come from a really great family and I did have every opportunity and a lot of things going for me, but yet I was still depressed and battling suicidal thoughts every single day. And... Obviously, this was tough being the person dealing with it, but looking from the outside in, from another person's perspective, seeing all this potential that I had, but then still knowing that I was battling these negative thoughts does seem really hard to comprehend. So with that being said, I really hope that listening to this makes you feel comforted and reassured that you're not alone, whether you do have experience with this or whether you don't being a parent or a child in this situation. And I'm just very grateful to be in the position that I am today. Without my amazing mom, I would not be here doing this podcast and living a life that I do truly love. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and learn some more interesting facts about me. It's also a little emotional, so I'm sorry for that. And just trigger warning, we do talk about suicide and self-harm in this episode. So I'm here today with my mom, Donna Galuzzo, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. And a few people have asked to hear from you and my other family members about how my mental illnesses impacted you. I know it wasn't easy on any of you, and I am very, very sorry for that. But I am excited to talk about it with you today on this platform to hopefully help some other families out there who may be facing similar battles. 
I will let you take the floor to introduce yourself before we delve into this topic. Hi, thanks, Jill. Uh, yeah, so I'm Angelica's mom. I'm Donna Galuzzo, and I'm a mom to four amazing kids. I am married to Frank for a loving 25 years, and I'm known actually as soccer hockey mom. I've spent many years on the pitch and skating rinks cheering my kids on. And, you know, it's, it's been fun watching all of you play competitive sports all these years. I work in long-term care currently, and I'm also enrolled in a social service program um, that I'm hoping to attain future opportunities to uh, help others in times of crisis too. And I enjoy listening to music and working out and spending time with my family. Awesome. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction. And yes, you definitely are a super mom. Thank you for always being at every single game and cheering us on the loudest parent in the stands. <laughs> so just to give our listeners a bit of context about my childhood, I'm going to get really vulnerable here, but do you want to briefly explain some of the shit that I both went through and put you through in my early years? Oh my gosh, where do, where do I begin? I mean, <laughs> we had a very dramatic entry into the world. You uh, were basically on a call stat to the room as we were losing you. Um, you were delivered a little early, but only by my choice. You know, with some great medical intervention, we were able to get you out on time. And you did have the cord wrapped around you several times around your tiny little neck. So it was basically a very scary time. And I just remember them getting the vacuum and pulling you out. And we're just thankful today that everything worked out okay. Uh, then, you know, we, we encountered several physical illnesses, I guess. You had multiple ear infections that essentially impaired your hearing and your speech and uh, therefore you couldn't speak at all in your very first early years. It was really hard. You attended speech therapy for a couple of years, and that was really a lifesaver. It really helped to give you the ability to recover your hearing and your speech. You did speak with a slight accent, but that went away quickly. Tantrum-wise, it was by the tenfold. Everything was a tantrum, and you know, you were completely misunderstood by family and friends only because you were suffering in other ways with your speech and your hearing abilities. So that resulted actually in you being ostracized from social groups in your early years too, um, that I desperately tried to involve you in. It was really hard to keep you engaged and keeping others engaged with you in that time. And, uh, and then, you know, you had pediatric OCD. And um, that was really a challenging time too. Everything had an order in your life um, and it had to follow like the set rule pattern. It was just, it became a tantrum or a struggle if, you know, you didn't have things exactly the way they were. You would have a meltdown and you would totally withdraw and isolate yourself uh, from everyone. So routines and um, like waking up and to food and nesting, everything, like even your shoes and your clothes all had to be put on a certain way. Um, otherwise, it just completely set you off. So yeah, everything needed to stay in order for you, for sure. 
Yeah, and I think I will be doing an episode on that pediatric OCD because there are a lot of funny but informative experiences that I have had, such as I think the hamburger is my favorite example, mom. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to explain what that was. It just had to follow in order. You had to have like, you know, your bottom layer of bread and then your meat on top, but then everything that followed had to follow the same pattern. So if it was like ketchup first or your tomato first, it had to stay that way. If anybody as so much as tried to ruin that pattern, you wouldn't, you were done. You wouldn't even touch your food. So yeah, it was, it was tough times. (laughs) The people at Harvey's hated me because I had to walk them through specifically. Yes, so outside of those negative situations, what was I like pre-adolescence? You know what? Um, you were somebody who always had your shit together. Really, you did. Um, you were a great student. You were a great athlete. Um, you were confident and outgoing. You were really high functioning and in every aspect. And, you know, you were the only one that had, you know, the multiple friend groups. Um, You were always interacting and mingling socially. So, you know, there was never like a weekend that you didn't have anything going on, even during the week for that matter. You just, you were always involved in something that pertained to some type of social gathering. So what did you start noticing in my adolescence that was abnormal from my usual typical self? Uh, You know what? Um... I started noticing changes like literally after you started menstruating. So you, when once you hit, you know, womanhood, you really started to show like hormonal levels that were, I guess you could chalk it up to that. It was, it was all women issues. And um, a couple of years later, you know, I started to notice things were getting a little different. You were starting to sleep a little more. Um, you were becoming a little bit more withdrawn and, you know, I thought it was just because of the fact that you were so high functioning, you had so much on your plate. I mean, you had soccer almost every night of the week, and then you were trying to do your academics on top of that. So it was just a very busy time. So that's what I thought your tiredness was coming from. But then, you know, things just started to progress further. You were really starting to withdraw yourself from everyone here at home and your relationships started suffering. So it was it was a really tough time to start seeing all that happen to you. I would say that the biggest changes came when you were like in grade 11. And then your last year of grade 12 seemed really hard for you it was like to focus on anything. It was just not soccer, not academics, not friends. Like you were just really out of sorts, not yourself. Yeah. Yeah. In the distance, I think when I look back, it was like I was in a lot of places physically, but mentally I was not there. And spending time with you or spending time with my friends, I was I was always at the social functions, but I wasn't really there. Yes. No, I would definitely agree with that. You just were physically, but not, not mentally, not emotionally. Again, it was just a very cold, distant type of environment that I felt was coming from you. Like it was just not the energy was just not good. So obviously you were noticing all of these things, but when Julian went to talk to you for the first time, which I talked about in my first episode, what were your initial thoughts? Um, <laughs> well, you know what? It was, it was tough. I came to understand that you were in a crisis, but I didn't comprehend how bad. I was just blindsided by it and it almost seemed surreal. Like this is not really happening, but it is happening. 
we knew like I could see the patterns, but you know, I didn't understand the severity of how deep this was going. I was hurt because you didn't confide in me personally. And you went to, you know, Julian and your other friends who happened to know more than I did. So I took it personally. Um, and, you know, it just, it hurt my feelings at that time. I was angry because I thought, you know, I could fix this. I'm, I'm her mom. I could fix this problem. So I said we would talk to you about it with Julian, that we would certainly address it and see. But I found that when we did make that approach, you just weren't responsive in the same way that I thought you would be. Again, there was like a distant energy. It was just so cold. Um, you just were not receptive to even hearing what we wanted to say. You were nodding, but you weren't really nodding. Like you was just not there. And, um, and then I told dad and your siblings about the circumstances and, you know, everyone was just as confused as I was. Like we weren't understanding where this was coming from. I mean, you know, you were the one who had everything going for you. You were, you know, right on top of the world. Everything was just going the way you wanted it to. And we just couldn't understand where this was stemming from. So some days you were, yeah, some days you were physically present. Sometimes you weren't. Sometimes you were on top of the world. And sometimes you were just so withdrawn. And the second time when it was brought to my attention, obviously I took it much more seriously. Um, I demanded that you come with me to the hospital. I remember we had made that approach and I think you were reluctant, if I can remember, from going, but I insisted that we go. So you did. You did come with me. I know you were upset. Um, I think you were upset with Julian at that time, too, for telling me um, that second time. But I think that was probably the saving grace because we were able to get you to the hospital and they obviously realize that there is a situation and there is a real problem. But it's my job as your mom. And I just felt like at the time it was part of my job to keep you safe and alive. And so I had to do whatever I had to do to make that happen. I wasn't going to lose you to whatever demons were hurting you or in your mind. So I had to obviously act upon it. And I couldn't do it without the medical intervention. I couldn't do it myself. I felt like every time I tried, something had backfired between you and I. Just the relationship became more and more unsuccessful. There was just nothing was working. So um, everything just started to tie in together with all the changes that, you know, we were seeing and the reality of the situation just like really started to settle in that we were in a very grave situation. Yeah, it was a super difficult time for me. And especially I found it so difficult to be home. Like everything about home, everybody here was just very, very hard for me and always put me in this headspace that was not safe. And I think we can go into all that another time. But obviously it did have a major effect on you and everybody around me, my family, my friends, my teammates. But how did this actually affect you? Me. <laughs> well, um, you know, I'd say physically, I, I think I looked... I looked spent and withdrawn. I really did at the time. I continued to uphold my best possible positive self in public. Mentally, I was completely drained. I was worn out with anxiety every day thinking what if, you know, situations were going to get worse or that I would come in and find something that I didn't want to find. Emotionally, I was just spent many nights crying myself to sleep, wishing that I could bring my child back to a good place wishing that I could turn back time. Um, I lost tons of sleep with fear, just thinking, you know, all these 
really horrible thoughts. So it was, it was a tough time for me. I really dealt with it a lot on my own. As much as I tried to approach the family and talk to them, I just felt that it wasn't the support that I needed. And therefore, I was afraid to approach anybody else because of stigma and what people were going to think. So I really kept a lot of it to myself. I'm very sorry that I did put you through all of that. And even that you did take it personally, um, obviously never intended that to happen. But I also think that could be a learning point for a lot of people listening is that if you do feel personally attacked by somebody who is battling mental illness or anything else, like it's not about you, especially in that crisis situation, like you need to separate yourself from that situation and learn how to offer advice or support from a distance and not, I guess, putting yourself in the middle of it. Yeah. So what were some of the changes that you made to address these issues and how did this impact the rest of the family? It was hard. It was hard to address anything. We as a family felt very intimidated by the whole situation and the treatment and disciplinary measures that, you know, we took for you were different from the other kids. Um, We always felt afraid to say the wrong thing to set you off um, or trigger you trigger your sadness, trigger your anger. We just didn't know which way to turn or which way to walk. It was like literally walking on eggshells with you. And, you know, how do you say this? We we were allowed to dictate, you know, whatever we wanted to you in the way that you can do whatever you want. But the other kids suffered in the way that they weren't allowed to do the things that they wanted to do or get away with because of the fact that they weren't the ones suffering and, you know, they weren't in this traumatic situation. So we, we tried our best to make things better for you. But in essence, we actually created a worse environment for them. It was hard on dad and I because the fear of losing you was greater than dealing with the family conflicts. Like it was just better off that we would deal with that on another note when you weren't around. But it, it, was, it was really hard during that time. And you really didn't communicate much with anybody. And like you said, you know, it was certainly felt that you didn't want to be here at home. Like this place almost seemed like the place that created that environment for you and that those thoughts and feelings. So it made it hard on dad and I to think of why you could possibly feel that way. Um, So we wanted answers, but we were afraid to ask for answers. And I think it's an interesting topic. I mean, when anybody is battling a mental illness, it affects, again, like I said, everyone around you and especially the siblings of this person. Because like you said, especially at that age, there's disciplinary measures that have to come into effect. And that's why when a few people had reached out to me and said that they wanted to hear from my family members' perspectives, I thought that was really interesting because it does affect so many people, even in ways that we don't really acknowledge, but they're always there. Yeah. And everybody was impacted by this. Everyone was starting to show signs of mental health breakdown. And some days were just more anxious than others. And it would just get bad. And I'd want to crawl out of myself and just run, run away. So what would you say was the scariest moment for you as a mom during that time? And how was the situation addressed? The scariest moment, (laughs) besides the multiple times that I had seen you get hurt on the pitch, (laughs) um, I'll be honest, there was no, there was no given set time that there was a specific moment of fear. It was every time because Every day I lived in fear after knowing what I knew. 
and to walk into your room to make sure you were breathing or call your friends and make sure that you know you were still alive and okay and you weren't doing any type of risky behaviors of any kind. I had to figure out quickly how to parent a suicidal child and nothing in those what to expect, you know, when you're pregnant or when your children series, it just didn't, it didn't prepare you for something like this at all. So I was, um, I was alone. It was hard. The fear of just losing you and learning, you know, about your suicidal ideations. It was just really hard with each injury that you had and endured on the soccer pitch you know, my heart sank deeply every single time because I knew it would just be one more reason for you to feel torn and wanting to maybe end your life. And um, I knew that I had to become like a 24 hour watchdog and make sure that, you know, nothing would chance anything to make you feel like you were going to make the wrong decision in those deflating moments. So with all of this coming to the forefront in my last year of high school, what were your thoughts about me going so far away for university? Um, Well, I spent most of my time dwelling in my own anxiety. Like I was really afraid. Um, My thoughts would eat away at my brain with, you know, a lot of different case scenarios. And, you know, you accepted the scholarship to the U.S. and it was everything you would hope for to achieve and everything as a mom. I was ecstatic and overly proud that you had accomplished what you had set yourself out for. But, you know, it was like, how do I let this happen under these circumstances? How do I let her go? It was just, it was thought after thought and it literally tore me to pieces. I just didn't know how to feel around this whole situation. Yet everyone else around me tried to play it off. And I was feeling frightened with most texts that I would get from like your roommates um, and friends. And when I wouldn't hear from you in the morning, like panic would kick in and I would start texting everybody in my contacts to make sure that you were okay. It was just the price that you paid for a mother's love. And I know that it really bothered you that I would start calling people. And I just needed to make sure that you were okay, that somebody knew physically that you were alive and that you were breathing and that, you know, you weren't about to make a harsh mistake on yourself. And we ended up getting you into counseling before you left for university. So um, that was a shit show in itself because we had gone through, you know, several before we finally found somebody that you clicked with and that you connected, which I was so scared because we were coming so close to the end of you having to leave and we still hadn't found anybody. So it was really hard for me because I thought, how the heck am I going to send her away um, like this? I just can't do it. And I really contemplated a lot of different things with dad and it was just, it was really hard. But then we found someone and she actually continued your counseling over the phone. So you had phone sessions while you were away. Um, So that really made me feel a lot better. Obviously, I still worried because, you know, over the phone versus face to face, she could physically feel you and see you at that time. So yeah, that was a super hectic time. Obviously, me moving countries eight hours away there for soccer. I was also hurt at the time, just finished surgery. So there was just a lot going on. And I know it was really hard for you and the family to see me go, especially in the state I was in. So what was the hardest part about that transition for you? I just constantly worried. Sorry. It's okay. It was tough. I I just, I worried all the time. It was a really hard time for me and for everybody, really. But there wasn't a moment that I didn't worry. Just the, the inner fear of losing or thinking of losing the child. 
and not being able to save them or help them just it just devastated me and again I was just so overwhelmed with anxiety all the time and thinking that you know I'm surprised I didn't lose myself to mental health at that time even though I suffer from anxiety as it is but it was just it was a really hard time and you know I'm happy that so many years later that we're in a a better place but I know that every day we're just going to move towards hopefully more positive outcomes and it is going to be a long journey no matter what we're all going to have some bad days I just hope that those bad days can be conquered for your sake and for mine because you know the journey's not done and this is not something that goes away overnight it takes time and hopefully you know you have found yourself also in the right place with the right people who continue to love you and support you well i love you a lot and i know that this is a very tough and emotional topic for you especially looking in on me from the outside and being my mom always wanting to keep me safe and being the mom that you are always extra wanting to keep me safe and protected. I do really appreciate it. And looking back, I wish I did never put you or the rest of the family through all that I did, but I'm really grateful to have such a great support system and that you guys intervened when you did and helped me get to the position that I'm in today. So thank you very much. I love you too. Um, So going along with that, how did you cope and manage your own mental health during this time? So I expensed my own mental health for yours to ensure that you were in a better place. I lost myself most days uh, within my own fears. I became withdrawn in my own social circles, fearing someone may have already known that you were struggling I started to self-blame and, you know, I started to say, like, was it something I did? Was it something that happened to you and you never told me? Was it genetics? Since there is a history of anxiety and depression in the family, why would this child who has everything, you know, going for her contemplate thoughts of self-harm and suicide? Like, does she not see her worth? So many thoughts ran through my mind that it just, it consumed me so, so much at that time. And it still does. Like, don't get me wrong, because once this happens, it's always in the back of your mind. It doesn't go away. And I think that's, I mean, one of the hardest things too when going through mental illness is how you're coping outwardly. So I had all this stuff going for me. I was going to the States for soccer. I was a great student and social, and I had all this stuff. But deep down, I was feeling like shit. And there was all these thoughts going through my head and it was just something that I couldn't control. And I think being called moody was a trigger for me um, because that's one thing that was always brought up. But I mean, I was battling a mood disorder, so I guess that does make sense. And it was just something that I could never control, but it was always something thrown at me and then it would just make it worse. And always flipping back and forth from high to low was super hard. And I know affected a lot of people because when I was low, I would not talk to anybody. I would just be in my own head. But when I was high, I would be on top of the world. So it would just depend when you found me, when you came to me and what kind of mood I was in. And that was something that I could never control. And that was hard. Your, your mood swings were extremely hard to handle because like you just said, it was either a real high or a real low. There was never, like never an in-between. So they were tough times. And, you know, when you were on a high, 
we would start to question, is she on drugs? Is she drinking? Is she doing things that are making her be this happy? Or we, we just didn't know where this happiness was coming from because, you know, most days were spent on the low side. And that's, I guess, also what made it really difficult diagnosing me. And there were a few different disorders thrown at me because nobody knew what I had, basically because of these intense mood swings that, I mean, I still struggle with on a flip, like it can go from one to another. Yes. Yeah, no, for sure. So what is one thing that you would have done differently for your own well-being and one thing that you would have changed for me? What would I have done differently? Um... You know, I was afraid to confide in friends about your circumstances and feared of the stigma that it would have resulted in. Um, So I kept quiet and I didn't tell anyone. And I suffered from that and not having my own outlet to help me keep sane through all of this was, was really, really difficult. So I would have definitely confided in more people to offer me the support that I needed just because it was such a tough time to handle alone. So I would definitely do that. And one thing that I would change for you is that, you know, I would have changed the approaches that I took in trying to communicate with you. Like, I would not say that I had the perfect teachers myself. My parents, you know, never had their shit together either. But I thought that I had my shit together as a parent and I thought I was doing everything right. But obviously, you know, things like this can happen and has happened in my own family now. And it really, um, it really makes you want to change so many things and hoping that it would have changed the course of, you know, your circumstances. So I would have changed my approaches to you because I knew that, again, they were triggers for you in the way I would come to you and ask you things. I tried my best and yet they were just not right. It never connected with you. And we can take this out after if you don't want it shared. But I remember one time when I was away for school, um, I had made an Instagram page where I was, it was some inspirational thing where I would just post pictures and write some kind of inspirational quote or caption with one of my experiences. And with one thing I said, we did not actually talk for a few months, which I know was really hard because I had said in one of my pictures, i I remember it specifically, it was something along the lines of at times when I wanted to take my own life, blah, 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 I did this. And you had reached out to me right away and told me to take it down because you had a bunch of friends and family members texting you and reaching out to you. And you just, you were talking about future employers and how you didn't want people seeing that and thinking that of me. And I took that really, really hard because I was still at a really bad point in my life, but I was like, I'm at a point where I want to talk about it and try to make a change and do this and this and this, but you didn't want it shared because of how it reflected on you. And you just didn't want people to look at me differently. And I think that was a really tough conversation between us. And I think it was three or four months that we didn't talk for, which was really, really difficult. But I mean, at the end of the day, you were just trying to protect me. It wasn't anything out of spite or anger. I don't remember it being that long that we didn't talk. (laughs) But I remember that. I remember this. Totally. I do remember being upset. I did take it personally um, because I knew that it would affect not just myself, um, but it would affect you know, everybody, the whole family. So it wasn't just a reflection of me. It was a reflection of the whole family. And it it was just, I feared for everybody's 
stigma and what they would, you know, be classified as, as, you know, the sibling of Angelica or the mother of Angelica or the father. And then, you know, I would always think, oh my God, like, you know, she's going to be applying for jobs. And then, you know, these employers are starting to look at social media and they're going to see this type of post and it's just going to, you know, reflect a really negative impact on you that they're not going to take you because of this. So I just reacted very abruptly with it. And I thought that this can't be happening. I didn't realize it then. Obviously it was a way for you to be starting to reach out, but I realize it now and I'm happy that you're starting to find your voice. And I absolutely love and so proud of the fact that you're doing this to help use this as an outlet for yourself as well. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> and yeah, I think the only reason why I did want to share that is it just shows growth and education, like what we didn't know back then and how it affected both of us. And looking back now, knowing what we do know now, and hopefully sharing advice to help other parents or kids out there going through it with ways to approach each other and address the situation. Absolutely. So wrapping up, what would you say to any parents out there who has a child that is suffering from a mental illness or specifically battling suicidal thoughts? Uh, you know what, as much as I like felt like most times I was the only one facing this battle alone as a parent, I just didn't think outside of my box any longer. It was just like, I was the only one struggling with this pain and, you know, consulting with the family doctor and finding other parents in counseling groups, I think would, uh, would essentially be a great thing for anybody going through this, um, especially in this type of crisis. I think a really good support system is really important. Uh, friends that you trust, families that, you know, are obviously on your side of things. And it's just, you know, you're understanding that inevitably this is going to be a long journey ahead. You have to really grasp that. It's, it's not a quick fix. There's no band-aids for this. It's, um, it's something that's real. It's something that's raw. It's something that a lot of people don't want to face. And in the reality is, you know, the statistics are getting much higher, especially with everything going on in this world. And there's a lot of things that people are having a hard time dealing with. And the struggles are just getting harder. And not just for, you know, adolescents, just people in general. And I think we should just be a little bit more kind to people, understand that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than what people can actually imagine. And um, trying to make time for yourself in spite of the situation that you're in. So, you know, trying to put also some self-care in there for yourself because it will take a toll on you and your own personal relationships. So just keeping that in mind, I would definitely do that. You know, just try to keep up with a hobby that would help you take your mind off of things for even just a little bit. But the struggle of control also needs to be let go because these are situations that you just can't fix as a parent, but we want the best possible ways that we can stand beside you and support you and hopefully, you know, be there in times of your feelings that you are having a crisis and that we could ensure the love that is around you and that hopefully, you know, with that, you will make a decision that will ultimately reflect life and knowing that you're loved and this is a journey that we want to walk with you until the end of time. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's great to hear this personal example and like how these situations really do impact everyday people. Um, it could impact anyone. 
And I'm also looking into getting a psychologist or psychiatrist who specializes in this parent-child relationship, specifically in adolescence, because I think that's when hormones become a big factor and that moody, in air quotations, becomes a really big conversation in many households. So I think it would be interesting now hearing this and then hearing a professional really just understanding how to approach the situation and what the best ways would be to talk to your child about anything that they may be going through and how a child can approach their parents about getting help or really explaining what's going on in your mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, it's just, you know, you're as a parent, you know, your mind is set to ensuring that you're protecting your child and you will do that at all costs. And even if it essentially, you know, hinders your own personal relationship between the two of you, but you know, your goal is to keep you safe. And yeah, you're going to be mad and, you know, it will happen and it can happen. But I think these are times where you have to start realizing that you can't control all these situations. You just hope that together you're making the best decisions and finding the best solutions when triggers can happen and how to deal with them um, so that, you know, you're always assured that you have a positive place to come to when you're feeling that way. Well, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, you know, especially honored because I am the proud parent behind this podcast. But to have me on and speak about my own vulnerability with this topic um, has certainly, you know, brought back some emotions. <laughs> but I do hope that, sorry. <laughs> I am just very, very proud of you for opening up and, like you said, being vulnerable by sharing these stories that are not easy to talk about and emotions that are really difficult to cope with. I know, as I said, I did put you through hell at times and it was really, really difficult for you and for the family. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thankful every day that we're here. Me too. So I'm going to come give you a hug now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. I just think it's really fitting that today is April 16th, which is my nunno's birthday, my mom's dad. And it was actually a picture of him in the hospital that I had posted on that Instagram page with the caption of, at times when I wanted to take my own life, I thought of your strength and it inspired me or something like that. And I didn't realize that the dates were going to align like this the week that I asked my mom to come on. So I just think that worked out really well. And they're both my inspirations, my nunno and my mom. They're both superheroes. All the shit that they've had to deal with physically, mentally, emotionally throughout their lifetime is so inspiring. And to see the brave face that they've always kept to provide for their family has always been something that grounded me and reminded me of how lucky I was to be alive here in this family. So huge, huhuge shout out to my mom for coming on here and being vulnerable. I know it's not easy as a parent or anybody really to admit your faults or say where you might have went wrong. And as I mentioned in the episode, a lot of my problems did come from my home life, which can get into another week. But it just really speaks to her character and how far she's come to actually address these situations from this standpoint rather than from where she was at several years ago. 
And it just truly means the world to me how much she's supported me through all this and how proud she is to see me using my voice and doing this podcast. It's just a huge motivating factor to have people in your corner, especially your family. So I just wanted to read the second half of that Sammy post because I think it'll sum up this episode really well. Speaking out about what I was feeling and thinking was the best decision I have ever made. For it was my friends and family that saved me and provided the support I needed to get healthy. Being diagnosed with mental illness finally gave me the answers that I was looking for. I felt that way because I had an illness and there was no way for me to control that. After many years of extreme ups and downs, seeking professional help and talking about my illness finally brought purpose back to my life. Mental illness is an illness and should be treated as one. Living inside your own head is terrifying and you should never have to. I, among many others, will always be an ear to anyone asking for help. You are not alone. So I just wanted to say that for anyone listening who may be struggling to open up or feel like you are alone and in your own head, please, please reach out to someone close to you or me. You are never a burden and it is so important to take care of your mental health. And if you are noticing signs of distress and that you're not yourself, It's important that you address this immediately and do whatever you can to stop your demons from multiplying, which is exactly what happened to me. I truly hope that you're able to take something away from this episode, whether it's inspiration or knowledge or motivation, whatever it is. I'm just happy to share my story in hopes of helping someone else out there who may need it. Thank you for supporting The Revolutionized Mind. It means everything to me. If you are not following my Instagram and my TikTok, please do so. I'm trying to grow my social media. Both are at The Revolutionized Mind. And also rating and reviewing the show really helps on this platform. So please do that if you're enjoying The Revolutionized Mind. As well, if you have any content ideas or something you're interested in learning more about, as well as interested in being a guest on this show, please never hesitate to reach out. My DMs are always open. Lastly, there will be no episode next week as I'm finishing up my last couple exams of undergrad. Woo! Um, But yeah, I'll just be preparing for those next week and doing some other behind-the-scenes podcast stuff. So I'll be back in two weeks, and I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. We'll be right back.